Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a high calling on your life. And the passage we just read comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount of, in Matthew 5 through 7. And right before Jesus gets into that passage, he says these things. Look at these. They'll be on the screen. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our collective responsibility and your individual responsibility or your individual calling and our collective calling is to be the salt of the earth. Collectively, you're supposed to do that, but also you individually are supposed to be the salt of the earth, which means that you preserve the earth for what it's intended to be and God's beautiful creation to bring glory to him, but also to give it flavor. Christians should spice up the earth a little bit. Right? We're not dull and boring and we just keep our heads down. and we're, like That's how most Christians live their lives. But no, you're actually supposed to spice it up a little bit. Bring joy and happiness and the fruit of the Spirit into the world. And we're all supposed to be the light of the world. Which means that we let our good works shine before others. So they give us glory? No. We read it for the offering. We read it just now. So they would give glory to God. So today, what I want you to see, what I want us all to understand is that we live out our calling as followers of Jesus by patterning our lives after his radical righteousness. And my fear for you and my fear for me is that we're not living out our calling. My fear is that the Christian life isn't satisfying to you. That you've reduced it down to nothing. And that we haven't understood how our calling or understood how the radical righteousness of Jesus, what that actually calls us to. Righteousness is what Jesus calls us to. Jesus has a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus says, you're salt of the earth, you're light of the world. Exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Righteousness is the quality, state, and characteristic of being in the right. And primarily denotes, one writer wrote, a legal and social status or a moral state. All right? What does that mean? Righteousness is being in the right before God. And Jesus says there's two types of righteousness. There's superficial righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And there's my righteousness, which is radical righteousness. And my question for us is, which are you doing? Are you living a life of superficial righteousness or a life of radical righteousness? Because if you're living a life of radical righteousness, you'll live out your calling as a follower of Jesus, be salt and light. But if you're living superficial righteousness, the Christian life will never be satisfying to you. You'll, always be, you'll never be taking risk. You'll never be stepping out of your comfort zone because it's not enough for you to, Jesus is not enough for you to take that step and move forward and to be righteous as he calls us to be. So let's jump in at Matthew 5. Let's pick up on verse 17 again. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's Jesus' way of saying the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. There's like the smallest parts of the Hebrew alphabet. 
Like they're almost like non-existent. It's very interesting how the Hebrew alphabet works. Not even one of those will pass away until the law is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what's happening. Jesus is walking around. And he's preaching about God's love. About He wants us to love God and he wants us to love others. And he want, he's talking about God's grace and he's spending time with the sinners of his day. And he's healing people. And he's healing them particularly like on the Sabbath, which gets him in a lot of trouble. And these teachings and these actions brought an accusation. And what's that accusation? Jesus is abolishing God's law. Don't follow Jesus because he's abolishing God's law. Jesus doesn't take God's commands seriously. So be warned if you're a follower of Jesus, the more you talk about grace, the more you talk about love and you try to live that out, somebody's going to say, you don't take the commands seriously enough. Call that being antinomian. But Jesus is an antinomian. He doesn't abolish God's law. He says, no, no, no. I've come to fulfill it. And that accusation is probably brought on by the Pharisees, which is probably why he says that in verse 20. Who claimed to have high regard for God's law so much that they took extra steps to keep it. And Jesus clearly has heard this accusation, right? Think about this. Jesus is, a, is he's God, but he's 100% God, he's 100% man. He actually hears what people are saying about him. He hears what people are accusing him of. He doesn't go, well, no, I'm God, just be quiet. He goes, no, I'll, I'll respond to that. I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Fulfill is the Greek word. To fulfill is, it's pleurosi. It means to complete, to bring to its destined end. In other words, Jesus is saying the Old Testament is pointing to me. He says, truly I say to you. Whenever Jesus says that or he says, for I tell you, Jesus is the only person that we know in, in ancient history that actually used that language. What he's doing, he's speaking with divine authority. It's almost Jesus' way of saying, thus saith the Lord. He's saying, for I, truly I tell you, or truly I say to you. See, the relationship between Christians and the Old Testament has always been tricky. So young people in the second century, what happens is the Christian church had to deal with this heretic named Marcion. And what Marcion did is he rejected the Old Testament. He said something like this, and maybe you hear these accusations today, or you read something online, it goes like this. The God of the Old Testament is angry, but the God of the New Testament is loving. So what Marcion did is he said, okay, we're going to take a version of the Bible, and we're going to get rid of the Old Testament. And what he did is he kept the Gospel of Luke, and about 10 of Paul's letters. And he didn't include passages like we just read in Matthew 5. Why? Because Jesus basically said, he explicitly says, I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. So if you're trying to put a Bible where there's not an Old Testament, you're not going to include this statement by Jesus, right? Jesus says, I've come to fulfill it. So Jesus says, truly I say to you, I didn't come to toss out the Old Testament. There's continuity between the new and the old Instead, everything you, Israel, believed in, everything you longed for, everything you feel deep in your gut that you want and this in your souls that you want, because you've read 
the Old Testament, that's why you feel this way? Guess what? All of that's going to be fulfilled in my teaching and my ministry. But unlike the scribes and the Pharisees and their followers, he's saying, my followers will take the Old Testament seriously. My followers will live and breathe and die as salt and light with radical righteousness. They'll obey God's law and they'll also will do this. Which, did you notice this? Jesus says they'll also teach other people to do it. So does that mean you and I are supposed to obey all of the laws God gave Israel in the Old Testament? No. Because what the New Testament shows us is that there's some things that Christ will bring to completion, like the ceremonial and civil laws, right? We don't offer sacrifices on Sunday morning because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. But there's some things that, so just, something Jesus brings to completion, there's some things he hangs on to, though. Many of the moral laws, like teachings on sexuality, Jesus, like New Testament keeps those things. It's not, oh, well, you know, that was the Old Testament, that's how he saw things. No, like the Bible's, the New Testament's like, no, no, we're, we're keeping these. And some will be reinterpreted, right? That's why Jesus speaks with authority, because he says, I'm going to reinterpret some of these things. The way you've interpreted them, I'm going to reinterpret them. So he does that in the rest of Matthew 5. But that's why, like, for us, baptism is fulfillment of circumcision. It's a better circumcision. There's continuity. It's been reinterpreted. Or Passover, we don't do the Passover meal. We do a communion, which is our Passover. Christ, our Passover, sacrifice for us. That's why we say it. And we're actually saying we're keeping in line with, all right, just sacramentology a little bit. You didn't pay for this. This is for free. We're actually saying we're keeping in line with the Old Testament. This is what it always was pointing to, and we're doing that, fulfilling that. It's not Passover meal and communion. It's like true, real, deep Passover meal is communion. All right, so you're taking part of the Passover every Sunday. Cool, right? All right, I found it cool. Nobody else did. All right, but Christ calls every Christian to live out their calling as salt and light and calls us to live it out with radical righteousness. So let's look at superficial righteousness because Jesus says this. He says, for truly, I, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceed, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Superficial righteousness lowers God's expectations and expands his permissions. That's what it does. So when I first became a Christian, when I really started to like, take my faith real seriously, I was about 15 years old, and I ran into this group of Christians from this church who believed that all men should wear button-down shirts and khaki pants. Okay? And they're all playing basketball. This was the weirdest thing. They're all playing basketball like that in the summer. And I'm like, what's going on, guys? But in all the, they also believe that girls or women should wear skirts all the way down to their ankles. Also playing basketball like that. I don't understand. You can't really dribble through your legs with a skirt that long. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And they only read the King James Version of the Bible and they sang hymns. That was all they did, right? And I don't know why, but for some reason, at 15 years old, I felt I had to argue with them about it. I, like, took on this whole church by myself. It was a bad idea. I, came, I broke curfew and my dad was not happy about it. Anyway. Love you, Dad, if you listen to this later. Thank you for keeping me in check and in line. But superficial righteousness, what superficial righteousness does, it lowers expectations from a changed heart to changed action. So radical righteousness heightens God's expectations because it actually says righteousness is righteousness of the heart. So at first glance, you might look at people like that, like that church I ran to, and think, wow, 
they take their faith really seriously, maybe just a little too seriously. And we often do the same thing with the Pharisees. We go, wow, they really took their faith seriously and definitely too seriously. But they heightened the expectations of the law. That's what we think. But Jesus actually says, no, no, no. You actually are lowering the expectations of the law. Why does he say that? He says they lower the expectations of the law by making God's commandments more manageable. They treat God's law like it's a checklist. And when you do that, you make it easier to keep. And thus, you aren't heightening the expectations of the law. You're actually lowering it. So, for instance, they would say, and we would say, the Sabbath isn't for work. It's for worship, rest, and fellowship. And we go, okay, let me get my checklist out. Let's define work. If I take X number of steps today, how many steps is work? Oh, I get my 10,000 in? Good. 11,000, that's work, okay? But as long as I don't do that, check, kept the Sabbath. Oh, I, I saw Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath. That's work. Mm, Jesus wanted to be able to check it off. But is it work if, I, if my sheep falls into a pit and I take them out? No. So good, I did that today? Check. Oh, I know going to the office is work, but doing a home project isn't. So if I don't go to the office, but I do a home project on Sundays, check. Check, 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 check. Jesus is saying you're getting it this all wrong. When you do that, you lower the expectations because the expectation isn't number of steps. It's your heart. Is your heart resting on the Sabbath or is it working? For instance, are you always thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow or are you here present right now worshiping the Lord in your heart? There's a difference. And that's harder to determine. And Jesus says, I want to get at your heart. Is your heart meeting God's expectations? Not a checklist. You see how checklists lower the expectations? It makes it so much easier to meet. But when we start talking about the heart, it's like that's harder to determine, Jesus. So here's an example Jesus gives. He says in verse 27 of chapter 5, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Dallas Willard, he helpfully defines lust as looking to desire, looking at someone other than your spouse in order to indulge in sexual fantasies. Okay? I know an older brother in the Lord who teaches young men what he calls the three-look rule to keep them from lust. And it's a fine rule for what it is. It really is. And it goes something like this. Usually when you see a woman, look one and two are pretty harmless. But look three, that's when you cross a line. The Pharisees would take something like this and they would go, well, I gave that woman two looks, and even though my heart started lusting at look two, I didn't go back for look three. Check. I didn't lust. See, we lower God's expectations when our actions become the sum of our faith. Don't get me wrong. Your actions do matter to your faith, but they aren't the sum of your faith. The heart of God's commands is to get to the heart of you. You hear me? Say it again. The heart of God's commands are to get to the heart of you. 
The Pharisees say, I may have lusted after someone other than my spouse, but I never committed the action. I never touched her. Men say this all the time now. I can look as long as I don't touch. That's what the Pharisees say. So I'm in the clear. I didn't commit adultery. But when you do that, you made your actions the sum of your faith. And by doing so, you lowered the expectations because God's command was not, was really after your heart to free your heart from lust. So my question is, where are you lowering God's expectations for you? Do you think that because you have a filter on your laptop and an accountability VPN on, and on your phone that you beat lust? Young people, do you think that because you didn't copy and paste something off the internet and claim it as your own, but you changed a few sentences or a few words that you didn't plagiarize? Your heart was intent, your intention of your heart was to plagiarize. Do you think that just because you came to church today that you're a true worshiper of God? Is your heart engaged? See, don't lower the expectations of God by making the action, your actions the sum of your faith. Is your heart righteous? You need both. Don't get me wrong. But what happens in your heart should affect your actions, and your actions should affect your heart. The Pharisees' problem is they only are focusing on actions. And because of that, they're lowering expectations. But the other thing that superficial righteousness does is it expands God's permissions so we can do what we want. So the Pharisees said something like this. Matthew 5 tells us that they said something like, hey, Moses said we can divorce our wives. So even for the smallest offense, if she burns the toast or somehow like we're in like year 15 to 20 of marriage and we don't have like honeymoon level intimacy anymore, guys, right? Well, I can get rid of her. She's not my wife anymore. I'll toss her out. And Jesus says, hold up. Time out. You're expanding God's permissions to let you do what you want. Like God's God's permissions or even his commands, his commands actually are more like guardrails on the highway, right? There's plenty of freedom. He gives a lot of permission to move around within the guardrails, but the guardrails are there. Why? To keep you safe. So although God gives you plenty of freedom with his permissions, he gives us commands to keep us safe from ourselves and keep our world safe. But we don't want that. We want to expand the guardrails. We want to expand them further. And worse, we teach others to do the same, Jesus says. So we might say something like this, God is love. Absolutely true. But then we follow it up with, well, he doesn't, we expand the permissions. But he doesn't care who you sleep with. He doesn't care if you date or marry someone who doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't care if you sleep with someone before you get married to them. He doesn't care if you sleep with someone of the same sex, just as long as you love them, because God is love. See what you do? Expand the permissions. The things that God doesn't permit. Well, Christians have freedom to drink alcohol. So even if it offends a weaker brother or sister in the Lord, I'm still going to drink alcohol in front of them so they can just deal with it. See? Expanding the permissions. Well, here's one of my favorite ones. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. So it's cool if I don't make church Sunday worship a priority just as long as I have a relationship with Jesus. And we've said here a thousand times, you don't get the relationship with Jesus without his family. All right, he's our brother, so you're just going to get us too. We're a little crazy, but that happens. Or here's another one. Christians aren't bound to the Old Testament commands on tithing. All right? 
So I know that 10% was the ceiling in the Old Testament, but the floor is 10% in the New Testament. And we're just called to be generous. But God wouldn't tell me what to do with my money. So I don't really need to give to church. Listen, listen to the expanding of the permissions. The generosity starts to expand as long as I'm generous in all these other ways. As long as I'm generous with my time. As long as I'm generous with my smile. Like, I'm just like, I smile like a crazy person at people. I'm always waving people. Come on, you know, in traffic. Yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead. No problem. Don't worry about all the 20 people behind me. Evan's beeping his horn, but don't worry about it. Or like, I'm a, as long as I bring donuts into work every once in a while, I'm a generous person. See how you expand the permissions? God says, be generous. And we're like, no, let's keep, let's make that wider. So what happens is superficial righteousness becomes a mile wide and an inch deep. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus counters the scribes and Pharisees on murder, on adultery, on swearing oaths, on loving their neighbors. Superficial righteousness restricts and reduces God's commands into obliteration. And when we lower the bar of God's expectations and we expand the boundaries of his permissions, and worse, we teach others to do the same. Like, you don't think that your kids are picking up on the things that you're doing when you're expanding the permissions and you're lowering expectations? You don't think your kids are picking up on that? Absolutely they are. And then we wonder why our hearts are never changed. And we wonder why we don't know what our calling is or we don't feel passionate about it or why the Christian life isn't very satisfying. See, if the Christian life isn't satisfying for you, if following Jesus isn't satisfying for you, you're probably not following Jesus. Because you've lowered expectations, you expanded God's permissions, and you lost your calling of being salt and light. And if we lose our calling, the world will get hurt in the process. We are salt and light. If we're not going to do it, the world's not. So in the first century, an unmarried woman either dies or goes into prostitution. That's her options. So if, you're a fo- if you followed superficial righteousness and you can just toss your wife out just for anything, right? Didn't like that conversation. She's a Cowboys fan or something like that. And you're like, get out of here. Women all of a sudden became insanely vulnerable to death or working the night. But radical righteousness protects women. She says, no, you can't just get rid of a wife. She has to commit sexual immorality. That's the way. That's the only reason. And Jesus, superficial righteousness lowers expectations to things like Jesus says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So if someone hurts you, you can hurt them. And even if you, but if you live that way, you'll perpetuate cycles of violence. But right, radical righteousness seeks to end them. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 39, he says, but I say to you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. See how it stops violence? says, go ahead, you hit me, I'm not going to hit you back. Why don't you hit me on the other side too? Violence stops. Superficial righteousness lowers God's expectations to love your neighbor, but only if they love you in return. And what that will do is that will just keep dividing our world. Jesus says, if you love people who only love you, what good is that? Pagans do that. Radical righteousness of Jesus reaches across aisles and across lines. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Radical righteousness doesn't lower the expectations of God's commands, but goes 
deeper. It goes past your actions to your heart. And radical righteousness appreciates the freedom within the guardrails. It doesn't expand God's permissions because it understands God's commands are there to protect us and the world. And by being people of radical righteousness, we're able to live out our calling to be salt and light for the world. I'm not an Android user, but I imagine it's got to be tough in the iPhone world. Right? If you're going to, you have to charge your phone, right? And you go, hey, does anybody have a charger here? And you get that, like, white cord, and you're like, oh, gosh. Like, no, no, no. You, like, recoil like we're handing you poison. Right? That's not right. You need, but you need an Android charger for your Android phone, right? Because an iPhone charger won't work. It needs to be connected to the right thing. Now, don't take this analogy too far. All right, because we all know that the iPhone will be the phone in the new heavens and new earth, right? But let's just go with this, right, for a second. We collectively are called to be salt and light, but each of us has an individual calling within it. But for our individual calling to really be lived out in a satisfying, fruitful way, we have to be connected to radical righteousness because if we're connected to superficial righteousness, it won't work. So the question is, what's your calling? I want to transition to talk about that a little bit to try to help you figure this out. Friedrich Buchner says that calling is inward awareness of the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So we have a slide here that you'll be able to see. Right? Many in our world focus only on their deep gladness. You know, my bliss, my best life. And over there is the world's hunger. We have war, we have famine, we have homelessness, loneliness, fatherlessness. The list just goes on and on and on and on. But your calling is where these overlap. Right? So look at the next slide. Friedrich Buchner says that's where your calling is, right in that space. See, there's a U-shaped puzzle piece in the world. That's your calling. It's where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger overlap. And if we're called by Jesus, we're going to leave that up there for a little bit. If we're called by Jesus to be salt and light, connected to radical righteousness, teaching others to do the same, we're going to bring both our deep gladness and the world's hunger together so we can address it. So Jesus came obeying and teaching radical righteousness. He was able to live out his calling in him at the cross, his deep gladness of reconciling the world, including you and me, to the Father. And in him, he meets our deepest hunger. They overlap in his calling. And if you're connected to superficial righteousness, where you lower expectations and expand permissions, your calling will be empty shallow, it'll be a mile wide and an inch deep, and it'll be unsatisfying. Why? Because the previous slide, you kept them apart. It's all about my deep gladness. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to bring those together. And I'm going to stretch out my arms on the cross and pull those in. I'm going to take what you need in the world and what I love to do, and I'm gonna just going to pull them together. And I'm going to stand in that space, and that's where the kingdom of God meets us and met him 
So if you're connected to radical righteousness, your calling will be realized as your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And you'll be satisfied as the kingdom of God meets you in the overlap. So, and, uh, so unless your righteousness exceeds the superficial righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says you're never going to enter the kingdom because superficial righteousness keeps those things apart. So how can you do that? How can you bring those together? How can you live a life of radical righteousness? First, you have to remember that Jesus did it for you. Perfectly kept the law on your behalf. He, and he took the penalty that you, because you failed to do it on himself, on the cross. And when we put our faith and trust in him, secondly, we receive the Holy Spirit. So when we put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit and he'll be in you and he'll transform your heart to want radical righteousness to where your heart is fully engaged in your calling. See, when following Jesus' radical righteousness, your heart will be fully engaged in your calling. It'll be through basic ways like showing love to your neighbors or sharing your faith or inviting them to church or serving others. But there's also specific ways for you. That like, it's not my calling, it's your calling. My calling's different. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hungry, hunger come together. Some of us may be called to address the world's hunger in major ways, but most of us are just going to be called to address the world's hunger with our deep gladness in just ordinary ways. But because you're living out your calling, you'll be satisfied. When you figure out what that is and you start living it out, you will be satisfied. The Christian life will be satisfying because you're living out the radical righteousness and this being salt and light for our world. So if the world has a deep hunger for invested teachers and you're a teacher, and you're called to be a teacher, and that's your deep gladness, and you, bring the, you find a space where you can overlap those, bring in the world's deep hunger, despite how hard it is, particularly your public school teachers, like you guys are saints. But your calling is to have your heart fully engaged in giving children the best education they can have. The world has deep hunger for loving fathers. And if you're a dad and you love being a dad, that brings you deep gladness. Or you're a godly man in the church who wants to see men raised up to follow Jesus. And you're able to bring those together in your, as your calling. Your heart will want to disciple children. And you'll invest in the lives of children and young people, liberty kids, liberty youth. You'll make sure when teenagers walk in that they feel welcomed and cared for. And the world has a deep hunger for students who have integrity. So you're called to be a student. You want to be the best student you can possibly be. But when you put those together, you'll put in the hard work of studying, but because you want to glorify God. Not to get an A or impress your teachers. You say, this is my calling to be a student with integrity. I want to glorify God, and I see that the world needs more students like this, and I want to bring that together. And the overlap is where God meets you, where his kingdom meets you. But radical righteousness will require you to make sacrifices. To have a radical righteousness in your heart so you can live out your calling, you have to first immerse yourself in God's word. And you have to spend time in prayer for your heart and for the world. 
How often are you doing that? How often are you praying for your own heart and praying for the world? But you have to spend time doing that, and that takes sacrifice. Scripture and prayer will help you identify your deep gladness. It will help you identify the world's hunger and how to meet those. But that's going to sacrifice time. That's going to sacrifice sleep. That's going to sacrifice Instagram browsing or whatever you do when you wake up. You're going to need time to do that. But radical righteousness also requires risk. At some point, you're going to have to go after your calling. At some point, because you're stirred up in your heart, your heart fully engaged, you're going to have to take a step forward. And that will be a risk. But honestly, here's my question to you. What's the worst that could happen if you followed your calling? Like, I think about this all the time. What's the worst thing that would happen if in my calling to plant a church, this failed? Like, 100-plus people go to other churches and bless those, and then what? Like, I go become a pastor in Florida? Like, what is the worst that could happen? Right? But so many of us are afraid to take the risk. We're not thinking, like, what's the worst that could happen? If you're called to the medical field or maybe to the mission field and you go and do that, what's the worst thing that could happen? You learn a bunch of skills and you come back and you live with your parents for a little bit until you can get a job and move out and buy your own house? Like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, realistically. Like, yes, of course, the worst thing that could happen, you end up in a ditch in Africa. Right? Okay, that that's, could be the worst. But realistically. But so many of us won't take our calling. Oh, I'm called to be a teacher. I want to take a risk, and I, I want to be a teacher, and I want to care for children. I want to care for them well, and I want to be really super invested in them, and I, I want to know their lives, and I want to care for them. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? That you get to know some young people and love them well? And because you love them, you advocate for them, and then maybe your boss doesn't like that and fires you and you get another job at another school? Like, what's the worst that could happen? Realistically. But by only, but by never making sacrifices and taking risks for God, you'll never be able to reach your calling. Only when you take risks, only when you make sacrifices, will you be able to experience the radical righteousness Jesus is calling you to. But Jesus says, I did it first. I went ahead of you. I'm not asking you to die for the sins of the world. I'm asking you to step into these places and reach the world. Bring your deep gladness and have it overlap with the world's deep hunger. That's what I want for you because radical righteousness is deep, but it's satisfying. And it will change your heart toward God and the world as you live out being salt and light to bring your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger together.